Welcome to Partnering Leadership, conversations with leading influencers in the greater Washington, D.C. region and global thought leaders, helping you align better with your purpose, grow professionally with meaning, and have a greater impact. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at PartneringLeadership.com. Now here's your host, Mahan Tavakoli. Welcome to Partnering Leadership. I'm really excited this week to be speaking with Michael Rogers. Michael has had a long and distinguished career, including serving as Chief Procurement Officer for New York City, the D.C. City Administrator, and the Executive Director of Metropolitan Washington Council of Governments. Now, thank you to all of you that are sending in emails and sharing your voicemails with me. Really appreciate it. Just this week, I got messages from everywhere, from Hawaii to Texas to Romania to Cairo, Egypt. That is absolutely fabulous. Really enjoy hearing from you. Keep those coming. Mahan at MahanTavikoli.com. And there is a microphone icon on PartneringLeadership.com where you can leave me a voice message. And for those of you that enjoy this podcast on Apple Podcasts, about 35% of you, please don't forget when you get a chance to leave a rating and review there. Apple is the only one that really cares about those. Now, here is my conversation with Michael Rogers. Michael Rogers, welcome to Partnering Leadership Podcast. Really excited to have you with me today. Thank you so much, Mahan. I'm glad to be here. You've had an impactful career in many different cities, most especially here in the nation's capital. was wondering first, though, whereabouts you grew up, Michael, and how that impacted the kind of leader you've become. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and I grew up during the civil rights movement. I often saw people like Martin Luther King and Jesse Jackson and a number of the great civil rights leaders of the time on campus at Clark Atlanta University, where I attended. So I saw what leadership looked like and what activism was about. And I think that seeing those kind of role models helped shape my thirst for having impact and for leadership back then. I knew that from high school that I wanted to go into public administration, public affairs. And so when I went to college, majored in political science, got involved in voter registration political activity, organizing and stuff. That was uh, something that was going to carry me through my career because it was inbred in me. And I'm a preacher's kid too. And my dad was a preacher and, and an activist as well. So I got it at home and in the streets, if you will. And that's fantastic. So you aspired to it, you studied political science, and then went to graduate school, and you wanted to get involved in government, which is what you did up in Michigan. Yes, I was uh, accepted into a public policy program at the University of Michigan for the master's. And part of that program was an internship with the city government and city administrator's office. And that's where I landed. And that became my first professional opportunity in the city administrator's office in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And obviously, eventually you came to D.C., then went up to New York, and you had a pretty unique experience while you were working as a vice president at Ogden in New York. Yes, that was a tremendously impactful experience because I went to New York as the executive director of uh, the Jacob Javits Convention Center. Ogden Allied Services had been hired by the state to manage that convention center. So you had a private company managing a public facility. I had been deputy general manager here 
at the Washington DC Convention Center. And that's why they were interested in my experience. But New York is a big stage and there are a lot of challenges with opening that new facility. It was late. It was already had a mark on its back, if you will, from other various problems that they had. And I just walk right into a series of challenges with unions, uh, even down to how we handle the trash. It seems that contractors just showed up and said, we're the five brothers. We do your trash. (laughs) and they didn't have a contract. (laughs) So I had to sort through that, you know, as one of the problems, because in that industry in New York, it's noted to be a pretty rough industry. So I ended up going to the city and finding the public official who regulated that particular industry and said, okay, I need a clean trash contractor. Who should I contract with? And who's big enough to keep the business and not create a big problem in the community, if you know what I mean. So I started off by solving problems like that right off the bat. And after getting Javits open, we uh, ended up going to the corporate office of Ogden. They were a uh, building services company and they operated across the country, basically in the private sector. And they wanted to take advantage of my experience in government to expand their business to the government. I started doing business, uh, attempting to do business with the city of New York and quickly discovered that that was no easy task, that in in the building services uh, industry on the public side, we were an unwelcome entrant and competitor. And I just observed some things that clearly were not ethical and how some of the same uh, old businesses kept getting the same work. And so ultimately, uh, Ogden, uh, on my recommendation, said, we're not doing business with you all. You know, we're pulling out. But That wasn't the end of it. Uh, There was a big blow up in uh, New York City contracting. The governor ended up appointing a commission on New York City contracting to investigate the scandal that happened and wanted to make reform. When the commission started uh, reviewing the files and contracting to do their work, they saw all these letters from this guy who seemed to be angry about something, this guy named Michael Rogers that worked for Ogden. And I had filed a number of protests and had told them all what they're doing wrong and why we disagreed with how they'd come out, et cetera. And so they asked me to, you know, what was, what was the problem? So I gave them my experience. I ended up being their lead witness commission held hearings in New York. And my opening statement turned out to be the title of their report. My opening statement was, doing business with the city of New York was like sailing on a ship without a captain, nobody's in charge. And their report was shit without a captain, New York City contracting. I made a number of recommendations. Those recommendations were adopted by the commission. The commission made those recommendations to city charter commission. They were voted on by the citizens and adopted. And after that, the mayor asked me to come and lead contracting operation for the city of New York, which at that time was a $7 billion operation. When we did the study, there was more than 3,000 people involved in procurement across the city, many of them not providing value-added services. So we launched our procurement reform initiative there. I even started before I started the job with the help of the Fund for the City of New York. I held a conference with those that I'd be working with, kind of an introductory conference, to get an understanding of what some of the issues were so that we could together start developing a common vision for where we wanted to take contracting. 
And we did. And I focused on uh, the theme was computerized, centralized, professionalized with that kind of thematic approach and develop programs of that. That became the mission of New York City procurement reform. And one of the key things that we did was create a procurement training institute. This is something I believe in, that you've got to invest in people. If you want to transform an organization, you've got to invest in people and give them the tools they need, the skills they need to make the kind of contribution that you expect them to make in the organization. And I dare say that that particular program, which was started about uh, 1993, still exists today. So, you know, so you do something of value in an organization and it will outlive you many, many years. Now, Michael, you obviously did a fabulous job there. I'm just curious, though, even before getting that opportunity, you saw there was corruption going on in the city government and you chose not to participate in that while many that had come before you had chosen to continue to participate in it. What was it that drove you to get Ogden out of that business and pull yourself out, which eventually then led to the future opportunities? Well, I'm a trained, trained in city management. There is a code of ethics at the International City Management, City and County Management Association that has been ingrained in me as a public administrator from the very beginning. And we just don't do corruption. (laughs) You know, if we see it, we call it what it is. And I try to change the organization. So I knew that in order for us to be successful, we were going to have to change the structure and not participate in ongoing way of doing business that had been experienced in the industry. So you left an impact and a legacy there. Eventually, you came down to D.C., and that led you to an opportunity to lead the Metropolitan Washington Region's Council of Governments. But right off the bat, you were handed the challenge there. Yes. When I came back to Washington, I first went to the Commerce Department and worked for Ron Brown, and then became city administrator for Marion Baring. At the time, a very difficult time for the city when financial challenges were facing. There was appointment of a control board and all of that. And one of the big issues was water and sewer operation. It's called Blue Plains. It's the wastewater treatment plant. And it was an agency within the Department of Public Works. But this was uh, an agency that the suburban communities, Fairfax, Montgomery, and Prince George's contributed to. And as long as the district had a wastewater treatment plant that could accommodate their capacity as well, they didn't have to build a new plant. So, you know, it makes sense. It was cheaper for them to invest in capital in the district. But during the financial crisis, $10 million was taken from water and sewer utility fund and used for the general fund. So naturally, it created a big problem in the minds of the suburban communities that the district had taken money from them. And um, my first meeting as city administrator at the Council of Governments, I walked into this uproar about what the district was going to do and what are we going to do. And they had discussed a number of options, including creating a private uh, contracting out planes and or take over by the federal government, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what I walked into. So I was able to convince them, just hold up a second. Let me come back with you with, with an option. And I came back with an option to create a, a district authority with suburban representation, representation from the wholesale 
members. And I had to sell that on the district side as well, you know, because it was a district asset. And then why would we want to have suburban people sitting, making decisions on our water? They can't have input on our water rates, et cetera, et cetera. So we were, through negotiations, we were able to work out all of those issues and even get the council of the district to give up its rate-making authority on the water since they hadn't raised water rates in 10 years, which is part of the problem we were able to create this authority that has now become recognized as one of the best-run premier water and sewer facilities in the country. And it's all from a decision to solve a problem, maintain regional comedy, keep everybody at the table, and force their interests together that we can work through this. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy because there was no trust from the suburban communities of the district leadership at the time. But over time, it has improved. And then at the Council of Governments, we, where I went after a district, I walked in and it was, COG had been around for 40 years. It's a valuable organization, but it was rather quiet. And there was an opportunity to be more impactful. And I sold the board on board of directors on this idea of doing a strategic plan, which would have been their first. And the purpose of the strategic plan was to increase the value of the organization to the members. And you do that by helping members understand what you really do and showing the impact that you have. So we were able to do that. And COG was the talk of the town, you know, with the many things that we did. But we also brought regional directors together and provided that forum for them to get to know each other. And we started something, an annual retreat for the board that still goes on today. This is more than 20 years, yes. you know, and they look forward to it. It's a chance for sharing and people to get to know each other. If you're just coming to a meeting at COG once a month for, for two hours, there's not an opportunity for uh, dialogue to really get to know each other. And then where there's a big regional problem, you find that you haven't built the trust that you need and the kind of relationship you need in order to work through and solve those problems. But we were able to do that. And so I'm glad that it's still going. And we also recognizing that some of the regional leaders were senior, that we were going to face a deficit in regional leadership in the cities and counties, that we created the Institute for Regional Excellence. And it was a focus on recruiting people from the cities and counties to come to understand the language of regionalism, the language of cooperation and the tools of cooperation, and the importance of it as a way to keep COG as an organization that was making an impact for these counties and cities and giving them what they needed. And that was created, and it's still going on as is the Institute for the Center for Excellence at the District of Columbia, which I created when I was there for managers there, investing in people. And those are the kind of things that I'm, I'm very proud of in terms of where you can transform an organization through investing in people and giving them the kind of tools that they need, focusing on what the organization needs to grow and excel. And it will outlast you many, many years when you do that. And you have done a wonderful job of that, Michael. And a couple of things that I noticed about your career, one is that investing in people for you has not just been something you talk about, it's something you have done. And as a result of that, 
there are so many different initiatives and things, whether you started in New York with DC government or with COD that to this day are continuing. The other unique strength, and I want to find out a little bit more about this leadership aspect, is that whether it was in New York or DC government and then Metropolitan Washington Council of Governments, you were able to lead people whose interests initially not might not have aligned with each other, and you were able to engage a broad group of stakeholders. How were you able to do that? Well, I always focus and try to understand what everyone's interest is. Listening is very important. And just what is the problem from your perspective? And what are the parameters that you consider important? important in solving this particular problem. And just through dialogue and sometimes shuttle diplomacy going back and forth, so-and-so has a concern about this. Can you give on this? You have to be an active negotiator and diplomat in bringing stakeholders together to try to define issue around common interests that are really not that different. You may give a little bit over here and we may have a deal to be able to move forward. I was able to do that at COG, and there were issues that came up. I mean, the water, the regional water drought uh, issue was one of the big issues that we faced, and it took a lot of, shall we say, diplomacy, you know, to bring the big counties together because they had different interests in the Maryland County. So you just got to hang in there, focus on just what is the issue, and understand what's needed in order to bring people together, and don't let it go until you get there. That is great hearing from a person that, again, has been able to actually bring disparate groups and various stakeholders together repeatedly over a very fruitful career. So, Michael, if you were to give advice to a younger leader that wants to aspire to be as impactful as you have been in your leadership journey, what piece of advice would you give them? One, hone your skills, understand what your core skills are, and make sure that analysis and Use of data is a part of those skills because that's how you are able to figure out what the problem is and your options for solving the problem. So it's yourself in terms of making sure you are prepared. Other thing is always be a good listener to those that you work with as well as your subordinates and find yourself a mentor, someone that you can interact with and bounce things off with and who can guide you in your career. Also, always remember that in public service, especially, and I think this is the private sector as well, is ask yourself, you're making a decision, how will this decision impact people? And if you are trying to do something positive, you should be clear about how you're going to do it. I mean, there are winners and losers in this public policy game, and you just got to be clear about who that is and whose sides you want to be on and what interests you're trying to move. But keep focused on where the impact is. And I would finally say that conduct yourself in a way that you dare to have impact. And having impact means that when you leave the organization, people know you've been there. And they will say, I remember when we did X, Y, Z, which means that you've improved the organization in a way that people appreciate. And therefore, you in many ways have improved their lives. Fabulous advice, Michael. In essence, part of what you said is 
make sure you leave a legacy of impact in the organizations that you have been around. What fabulous advice, Michael, in that you have left the organizations you have been associated with better off where decades later, they still have some of the programs and benefiting from some of the leadership that you showed there. So it's important for us to leave an imprint on the people and organizations we touch. I really appreciate you taking your time to share some of your history, your background, legacy of impact, and leadership advice with the partnering leadership community. Thank you so much, Michael Rogers. Okay. Thank you so much, Mahan. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Partnering Leadership with your host, Mahan Tavakoli. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at partneringleadership.com.